0: Bird Box deals with some very serious, dark subject matter. But are there redeeming things about this movie? We'll dig into that and more. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. On today's podcast, Justin Weaver, our new host, Sandra Demas, our other new host, and of course, your traditional hosts, Daryl and me, Jay, will be talking about Bird Box. What does this film say about evil? What does it say about suicide? A very intense topic we're gonna tackle here. To hear more thoughts about Bird Box, like our blogs from Ashley and Anthony, or to share your thoughts with us, head over to thestorygeeks.com. While you're there, we'd love it if you become a supporter. If you support the Story Geeks on Patreon, you'll get access to all of our premium content, including our aftercasts and audiobooks. On today's aftercast, we're gonna compare Bird Box to a quiet place. We're gonna go real deep into that, so you do not want to miss that. Become a premium supporter today and unlock access to that premium content right now thanks for listening in the story geeks podcast is produced by the reclamation society let's dig deeper into bird box
1: all right well we are going to dive into bird box together and this is a fun show because we don't have any guests technically we have four hosts
0: Uh, there's two there's almost (laughs) too many cooks in the kitchen i
1: know no it's perfect (laughs) it's perfect so we are all here
0: almost too many cookies we're
1: all here so I'm here Daryl Jay you're here I am here Justin you're here greetings greetings yes Sandra you're here
2: <laughs> we got both
1: it's,
0: whoa nice
2: nice <laughs> I like that
0: I uh what's nice too I think all of our voices sound different enough that people can actually identify who we are as we talk which is nice because sometimes you're listening to a podcast and you're like these people sound the same <laughs>
1: good point Sandra yeah okay so <laughs> <laughs> So, we're going to talk about Bird Box. Bird Box. Yeah. The Netflix horror? Is it yeah, a it's horror. horror movie? It's a th- psychological I'm, thriller. I'm a little more in th- th- the gory
0: thriller camp, I think, yeah. than I would say horror. I don't know, gory thriller. Isn't that kind of horror? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that
2: the director herself, I don't think she wanted it to be considered horror. I think she was leaning more toward thriller. Yeah, she mm-hmm. doesn't
0: like making horror films. Yeah. Well, then what is she doing with her life?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Making thrillers. (laughs) Well, let's start with the big overall question, because I'm guessing we don't all land in the same place on this one. But let's just start off with what did you guys think of the movie? Sandra, what did you think? You're sort of our resident horror expert, right? Yes.
2: um, I was happily surprised. I saw it before the hype train was at full speed. So I was like, okay, let me check this out, because... I want to get in on it, and I loved it. It was really thought-provoking. Even as I was watching it, I was like, what, what does it all mean? You know, my wheels are spinning, and uh, I definitely had some weird dreams that night. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Fair enough. Justin? Uh, I thought it was fine. I <laughs> felt like it was a little forgettable, um, especially when we start comparing it to The Quiet Place. When... I think of it as a Netflix movie. I love seeing it for free. I don't feel like that time was wasted. Um, I enjoy Sandra Bullock always, and thought it was a good um, what-if, not-too-distant-future, post-apocalyptic movie, um, which feels like a really niche genre. Nice. But uh, I, I I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think I would've watched it again if it weren't for this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> I, I should say
1: you you mentioned uh comparisons to a quiet place. We are gonna save that for the aftercast. Yeah, oh. the aftercast is gonna be all about and that. We did this once before. We did a um Jay and I did an episode with Scott Nicewander from NerdSync where we talked about the state of the DCEU and we made a rule that nobody could commit draw any Marvel comparisons <laughs> throughout <laughs> the whole podcast. Because we were saving it for the aftercast. So
3: did I break our one rule? No, I didn't I didn't say it yet. <laughs> okay, but I feel okay. like
1: that is what we should shoot for. We you should try to save it. the quiet place mm. comparisons for the aftercast. I also Got I it. feel
0: like as as since Justin's a new host, I feel like I need to do a little bit of Justin interpretation. Okay. Because as when Justin said, I feel <laughs> like it's fine. That's like me basically saying, like, this movie's bullshit. <laughs> 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 Justin is too nice <laughs> to really come out with it. No, I'm just teasing. I always tease Justin because He's so positive and good to be around <laughs> so what did you think was the movie bullshit no 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 it's not i i i liked it it's one of the best netflix original films i think we've seen yet um netflix has done some amazing shows but not as quite as many amazing films so i, I think agree. this is this is good it's a good start good kickoff i'd probably give it about a six out of ten i do think that there are some moments that reach like a eight and a half out of ten level so there are some moments here that are really 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 good good The performances all around are phenomenal. The entire cast from Sandra Bullock, Trevante Rhodes, John Malkovich, the kids, Tom Hollander, even Sarah Paulson, who kind of has a cameo, (laughs) like if we're being honest, (laughs) but her cameo is like the most emotionally charged cameo of all Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, it was really great. I, I have to admit when I saw machine gun Kelly, the horrible white rapper, I almost turned it off. (laughs) 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 I don't know why rappers feel like they need to be in movies, uh, and I'm not interested in seeing MGK in anything. But it turned out okay. He didn't do much. Um, Yeah, so this movie deals with some really interesting themes. We'll dive into that. Um, I think I was talking to somebody about this film recently, and I said, having seen a Quiet Place first, we're gonna do. I know we're gonna do the the whole comparison. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just have to say, as it relates to that, it's not fair to see A Quiet Place first. It's not fair. If I saw this first and not A Quiet Place first, um, I think I would have had a different response. I agree. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, I really enjoyed it. I won't say, I will say exactly where, because unless you're my Facebook friend, which probably a lot of people are, <laughs> you, you, you don't know this yet, but my top 10 movies of the year, this one's in there
2: whoa nice so wait of 2019 of
1: 2018 i was gonna say oh. 2019 it fits like, in my yeah, top that's 10 fair. so far yeah because <laughs> it came out because it came out in december right it was like december 21st i think so yeah 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 so technically it's 2018 mm. so yeah it's in my top 10 but wow i think jay and i and you guys should do it too we're gonna do top 10 movie yes you guys patreon totally episodes or 10. something 10. later on yes. we'll so. just
0: record them like we'll record them as like not as Sharing them necessarily, but maybe just a like you sharing your top ten list just by yourself. Done.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) keep an eye out for that. That will be coming. But needless to say, I really enjoyed it. It's in my top ten, and I'll say more as we go along. Yeah, there's there's (laughs) a lot to say. (laughs) Um, What do you guys think about not seeing the creatures in the film? I didn't know what to call them—creatures, entities, spirits, monsters—because we just don't know. Creatures is pretty good. I call them creatures throughout. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously that's the, you know, that's the big question in the movie is what are they going to look like? We never really get to find out. So my question for you guys, is that disappointing or did you Mm -hmm. think that was good? Justin, you're nodding at me over there. What did you think?
3: I am torn exactly in half because (laughs) I am such a creature guy. I think the Xenomorph from Alien is one of the most beautifully designed things ever for movies. I love creatures in movies. I especially love if you can do it in a practical effect. I'm just so impressed by that. So I was very excited to see the creature, but then when I start thinking about storytelling and putting us in the place of the protagonist and she can't see it so we can't see it, I understand it. I agree with it as a storyteller. I just don't like it. I wanted to see it so bad. So as a storytelling technique, I think that was a strong choice. I don't think it was a weak choice. I think it was a strong choice to not show us the monster because they could have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the creature feature guy and me wanted to see it so bad. So I am torn <laughs> directly in half. What do you think,
0: Jay? I am not torn in half. I am 100% (laughs) behind, uh, not showing the creatures. Um, I think that even the fact that they show Tom Hollander's sketches, um, unless we got to see another character also sketching them and they were completely different, uh, that would have been kind of interesting. But the fact that we even see Tom Hollander sketching anything at all, and that they're all in the same horror, Realm. They're not like they're radically different. They're kind of like they could all be cousins. They're all monster, creepy cousins. (laughs) Um, I think that not showing the creatures has two benefits. One, we insert what we think would be the most scary, and this is a film about sight. Yeah. So we automatically do that with our minds, Um, especially the fact that they um, kind of almost show them. It's like they're they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, and like we put all of our anxiety into those moments, which I think is really strong. I also think it's more interesting for the creatures to be seen as the most terrifying thing that that particular character in the film can dream up. Right. Uh, just like just like the us as an audience, right? Like the characters are inserting their greatest fears. Yeah. Um, I think the film was actually stronger before we saw the sketches because the psychological trauma felt like it was not necessary in see, seeing the creatures themselves. Um, because I think, I don't know, I just, it doesn't work for me as well. The psychological trauma, um, having to live out our worst fears, that is more palpable and ubiquitous. Just seeing scary creatures isn't quite the same thing to me. Uh, So for me, psychological trauma is stronger than, like, that thing's scary, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Last thing I would say is that when we did our podcast on Event Horizon, I realized that in rewatching that film, the most terrifying scenes are not the gory hellish ones, right? The most terrifying scenes are actually the scenes in which people are reliving the trauma and guilt and shame that they experienced in life. And I believe those things are just, every human being can relate to those things. And so as soon as you put a face to terror, you take some people out of it. Because yeah. they go, that's not scary to me. Yeah. So, Sandra, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm with Jay. I'm totally down with never seeing the creatures. I feel like it's a, an incredibly bold way of forcing the audience to sit in that tension because we we just create our own version of that monster. And so we see in the film for Lydia, it was seeing her dead mom. And you know for her, maybe that was immense grief and that brought her to what she did. And for Mallory, she, she says that her sister got sad. Um, she said she got so sad and she does not get sad. So what it what it is, it's like a Bogart in, in Harry Potter. You know, it, it's the deepest, saddest, darkest fear coming into reality. And I love that we don't see it because it's different for everybody else. And so it's going to be different for us, too. But we create it as we're watching it and we're freaking out knowing what it could be, you know, something that we're ashamed of, like Jay was talking about, or that grieves us immensely, or that is so dark and so twisted that it just drives us to insanity. So I loved it
1: yeah sorry, Justin. I'm in the hundred percent I'm totally fine well. <laughs> being in the minority I'm totally fine I mean, for all the same reasons, like how do you appropriately represent every character's greatest fear on screen? yeah, or I think they said greatest fear or deepest loss, yeah. I think mm-hmm. is what Charlie said mm-hmm. um so yeah, I mean, I think not showing it makes the story strong I will agree I was looking forward to seeing something too, maybe not a full creature but just something more than the leaves moving but in the end I'm glad they did what they did hmm. you mentioned the sketches that Gary drew yeah I don't necessarily think we'll talk more about it later on when we talk about like the worshipers of the creatures and so on but yeah. I don't think any of those sketches necessarily represent what he may have seen Mm. when he saw the creature. Mm. Because if you look at them, like one of them is basically a version of the mythical demon Cthulhu, right? Mm -hmm. With like the octopus face. Yeah. Uh. Which is in... H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is in all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, And then others, there was one that kind of looked like a a creepy bird man, I think. I don't know. Like there's the stuff in there and those sketches looks kind of familiar yeah so i don't necessarily think that's what he saw he might just be processing something i don't know he but just might mm. be crazy yeah yeah okay so what do you guys think they might look like i'm just going to throw that out anybody Ooh. can jump in what do you think the creatures oh, might man. look like <laughs> if they have a <laughs> specific form
2: well then i have to tell you what scares me the most <laughs> yeah. i think, sure, let's do that <laughs> yeah no i i think it would be like just immense loss um for me, that's what it would be, you know, it would be, or maybe something that it has been a, a deep, deep hurt in my life and I'm having to face it again. Or, you know, so I, I think it would be hearing hearing people, hearing things that I have longed for and lost, or um, hearing things that maybe I'm deeply ashamed mm. of and they're coming back, you know, Th- that I think would be what it would look like. And I think it would mm. take on the form of the things that terrify me. Mm.
1: So maybe not a specific physical creature so much as yeah, making you see things.
2: Yeah, probably making me see things.
3: Yeah, I, I was kind of mm. visualizing it like the Dementors or the ghost of Christmas yet to come or something like that. Just a really simple uh, wispy creature and it had less to do with how it looked and more to do with what it did to you when you looked at it. So I was thinking more about mind control, emotional manipulation, things like that than like really some grand look. It yeah. it felt more like what it did to you than what it looked like
0: to me. I think uh the the hardest thing I've had to ever live through was being in the hospice with my mom. That's horrible. Yeah. And I think that the scariest thing that could be tormenting me would be to see like some some version of my mom in that state who mm-hmm. was angry and coming after me. So in other words, take my mom, who's a loving figure in my life, who I love very deeply, and turn that into a turn that into a, an ugly, terrifying thing, as opposed to a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be immensely terrifying. Yeah. 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 Um, other, other than that I'm like I don't know I mean, like, Cthulhu <laughs> sounds pretty bad yeah. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> I'm not up on my ancient demons but <laughs> yeah, I don't think I need to see any either yeah, yeah I, I couldn't really I don't know
1: I'm, I'm along the same lines like it definitely would make me see something terrible the thing that comes to my mind not that we want to dwell on what's terrible but the thing that comes to my mind is as a parent And Sandra, you can tell me if this is just me or if you've gone through this too, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) you, especially when your kids are little, you, your head just sort of automatically pictures the terrible things that could happen to them that you want to prevent. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So like them running out into a street and getting hit by a car or Mm -hmm. walking. This is a common one that I've had walking on the second story of the mall and they Mm -hmm. lean over the (sighs) railing, you know? Uh like terrible things like that like when you start thinking that stuff you think you're crazy and then you talk Mm -hmm. to other parents and you're like okay i'm not that insane this is just a thing you know or
2: or we're all crazy yeah (laughs) but yeah we we do it definitely and you know then once he start driving like my kid he's out driving right now and i'm like ah like just Mm. you know yeah those are the things you think about you know
1: so for me it'd probably be like one of those Mm -hmm. being realized Mm -hmm. or something like that but if I had to attach a form to it, I kind of feel like maybe it's a cross between a crystal ball and the smoke monster from Lost. <laughs> 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 you know, it's like a smoke monster with an image where you can see all the stuff inside of it happening. I don't know. Yeah, nice. Yeah. But that makes it way less scary if they actually put that on screen.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like oh.
0: Right, because if you say that's scary and I go crystal ball was smoking it, who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like then yeah. it's all of a sudden. That's it's a different. ride at Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Okay, so Sandra Bullock plays Mallory, the main character, and she is in. She cares for two children. One of them is hers. One of them is Olympia, who who dies earlier in the film. Um, and she never really names them. She just calls them girl and boy. So I'm curious what you guys think about this choice. Jay, what do you think?
0: Actually, why don't you go to Jessica?
1: Justin, what do you think? I want to hear what Jay thinks. No, uh, Jay, what do you think? <laughs> you Noah know scribble, Sandra, what do you me? think? Okay, we, we all talk at the same
3: time. Um, I'm trying so to rotate it around here. I'm curious how girl and boy, um, how girl and boy learned language. So if they were really aware that girl and boy were generic titles, or if they just thought, "Oh, okay, that's my name," so I'm kind of curious how much damage that really did to them I know that for Mallory it was keeping an emotional and relational distance so for survival purposes Mallory was keeping an arms distance by naming them girl and boy and just not taking them deep uh, into her heart by uh, making it personal naming them and things like that so for survival I thought it made a lot of sense it was just kind of functional Yeah. Um, But for her character arc, it was, you know, huge for her character arc. It showed her flaws. It showed where she needed to grow. And ultimately was one of the ways that we could see that um, she was letting herself be vulnerable. Yeah. Sandra, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, at the beginning of the film, we see her with this dark painting and she's talking to her sister and she's talking about loneliness. And she says it's um, it's about people's inability to connect. And when she's pregnant, she's concerned she's not going to be able to connect with her baby. And so it's really this whole theme of pretty much her entire life. And now that she's in this post-apocalyptic world, it's even more so that she just feels she can't connect because she has to survive. And it's kind of like a heightened version of what she had in her own life before things got terrible because, you know, her her dad didn't really take care of her and her mate left. And so she was just kind of accustomed to surviving and so she puts that then onto the kids and like justin saying you know it might not have caused any damage to them because they might not have known that those were generic terms but she knew and it was important for her to keep that distance it was important for her to again stay disconnected um but then you see as we we go on how she starts to kind of grapple with her her being used to not connecting and you see her wanting to connect and she's still trying to push that down, but it comes to the surface and ultimately at the end we see that she finally breaks free of that and she's able to connect. She's able to name them and, um, and call them her children. So I think that was, um, like Justin was saying, important to her character arc to see that, um, that transformation in her from disconnect to, finally connecting and calling them her own. Yeah. What do you think Jay?
0: I totally agreement. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. have anything new to add. The one thing <laughs> I will say though, is that there's a moment in the film that I that I thought was amazing. And it's when, I'm gonna paraphrase here, but Tom tells Mallory, we have to figure out a way to live. We can't just survive. Mm. Um, and that's kind of like the message that she needs mm. to hear. And she needs that to be lived out because she is avoiding everything. She's avoiding intimacy because she's afraid of getting hurt. Yeah. I also felt like that message was actually sort of like a shot across the bow at The Walking Dead. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, it was like Walking Dead, you think it's all about survival? Well, take this because it's not. Yeah. And I thought that that was kind of cool too. So I like that little clash of worldviews. Yeah,
1: totally. It's super tragic, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. To be so afraid of what could happen to these children that you don't even name them, you know yeah and and you really see it in her relationship with Tom too, like I think ultimately the reason she attaches herself to Tom is because she does not have to take care of him, he can take care of himself, that's a good point, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, so yeah. she doesn't she can be with him and she can keep her distance without compromising his safety, mm-hmm. Um, I was watching a video on YouTube that talked about some of the stuff that's in the book that's Mm. not in the movie. Ah. Mm. And as dark as this movie is, apparently the book is crazy
2: darker. Super dark. (laughs) Have you read it? (laughs) No, I was watching some videos on YouTube about... The differences between yeah. the book and the film and i was like oh dude that would have been gross so, really really dark
1: yeah especially with the kids there were a yeah. couple of things in the book there's a point where um mallory takes a syringe and is gonna use a syringe to blind both of the kids oh, wow. so wow. that they don't have to see what's out there yikes and she no. can't do it she doesn't go through with it but
2: I did see, though, another clip where it was talking about she trained the kids to never open their eyes. And so even when they were babies, if they woke up, she would, like, slap them, I think, with a fly swatter or something. Yeah, wow. And um, if they kept their eyes closed, she would give them food. And, you know, so they were trained to never see. And and because of that, they had this hyper... ability to hear and so they were it's like daredevil you know yeah. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. they were able to hear really well and that actually helped them to to know when the creatures were approaching
0: bird box is the daredevil origin story <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> boy is matt murdoch matt Murdock. that's right the man without fear because he's never opened his eyes <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep super tragic Um, let's talk about some of these other characters so clearly Mallory's the center of this film but there's lots of interesting supporting characters as well Uh, I'm just curious who you guys thought was strongest what were some of your favorites
0: Jay what do you think well I loved Tom yeah Mallory's boyfriend Tom fantastic character he gives life to the story and without Tom and maybe without Olympia there's not much hope to go around Hmm. right uh tom despite how dark everything has become still has a sense of hope peace joy and love in all cases he's he's, he's still he's telling the kids stories he's telling uh mallory that it's going to be okay he is showcasing love in his behavior um i think it's inspirational to us because we can be that in real life to people around us and mm-hmm. people desperately need that right now Uh, I also think you can um, look internally and think how could I be more like Tom for the people around me? Right? Like, it's just super cool. It's a character that you can kind of strive to be like, uh, I mentioned this already, but Sarah Paulson's character is fascinating. I mean, she's, she starts out super optimistic. I think you said that Sandra, like, like she's never been sad in her life. Um, I will say that her optimism seems a little bit phony, almost like she's like trying to, to make Mallory happy via phony things. Yeah, um, it's an interesting contrast with Tom actually. Uh, so Tom is life giving when the darkness has arrived, but Jessica Sarah Paulson's character is almost ignoring the dark darkness, which almost doesn't make her seem as authentic. Um, John Malkovich is fantastic as someone who isn't positive but who's very realistic. Everything that he warns about. Is a real thing.
1: I feel like John Malkovich played John Malkovich. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. like I feel like he's that much of an a hole in real
0: life. <laughs> We're looking for a John Malkovich like character. Uh, uh, I'll take that role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think you, you could put himself. You could put. Uh, we could put ourselves in his shoes pretty easily, especially when we see him slip into alcoholism. Because I mean, like, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you have left, man? Like. Your wife just walked into a burning car like yep. you have nothing left but to be fearful and probably die a slow death like yeah um and then i found i think that tom hollander as soon as he's on screen is an interesting character like almost no matter what he's in and i said to jessica i'm like this dude is bad news like i already know he's bad news from yeah. the moment yeah. he gets in the, the house we're, we were both looking at his eyes like, can you see his eyes can you see his eyes is there his eyes all messed up uh, but the whole time we're like, this guy is, <laughs> this guy's. But I will go back to saying the character who embodied peace and hope and love and, and joy. Um, the Tom. character of Tom. yeah, yeah. Not Tom Hollander, because that, that's the actual actor. Or name. Tom Holland, who's not actually or in this <laughs> movie. <laughs> who's also right. very hopeful, Spider-Man. Yes. But no, no, not, not him. But uh, Travante Rhodes' character, Tom, was my favorite. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Sandra, what do you think?
2: I really loved Doug, John Malkiewicz's character. Um, I just thought he was brutally honest. And I'm thinking, you know, if this were me in a post-apocalyptic world, I'm too diplomatic. So I would die immediately because I would let the people in (laughs) and I would trust and, you know, I'd have my eyes open Um, but I love like when they're in the market now as a viewer as I'm watching the movie they're in the market I'm like they should just stay there and he even says there's no statistical logical or legal argument for trying to get back to the house and Mallory's like yeah but we're not a-holes And then later on, they have that conversation back in the house. And he's like, there are a-holes and there are the dead. Mm. And like, that's it. So if you want to live and you want to survive.
1: The credo of Rick Grimes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and that's what
2: you do. So I loved that he was just 100% realistic. Like, no, don't let him in. Leave. Like, you you had a fun time here now? Leave. And he was trying to get Gary to leave. And then he's like, see, I told you. And so I, I really loved him because he was just brutally honest and I i'm not brave enough to be that you know um mm. especially as i imagine the apocalypse you know <laughs> um and i really liked i liked olympia i kind of struggled with her because she was too too positive and you know i think when someone's had such a good life and she talks about that, she talks about how soft she is because her parents gave her everything. And then her husband did. And, you know, she wants to name her daughter Cinderella and all these things where it's like, it's too cutesy. And then here's Mallory, the nega Olympia, you know, she's just the opposite of that. And so negative. And to see them together was really interesting because, you know, I think I could relate more to Mallory in that sense because you know I didn't have like the most perfect upbringing or whatever and to see that play out in the end of the world type situation it was just so interesting that she was still so positive still so you know inviting of others and trusting and of course it ended up being what led to her death but she was still in that and she was still (coughs) wanting human connections so badly even even in that type of environment so it was really it was really really interesting I wouldn't say she's my favorite but it was interesting to see the two together Um, but definitely Doug and I liked Charlie but he just had such a small role I feel like Charlie was
1: just there to try and give some horror cred it's like can we get the get out dude like can we get get some get out cred in this (laughs) he was
2: very much like the get out dude I know
1: I was waiting for him to talk about being with the with the TSA. <laughs> That'd be so funny. <laughs> How come this keeps happening to me? <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst. I don't want to do this anymore.
3: And he won't. Yeah. Not after no, this movie. Doesn't we'll seem like it. Back, no.
1: Although no. we didn't see it happen. Mm. We saw a big pool of blood come That's under the door. That's all we saw. It could have been, been anything. the other guy. <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs>
0: You know, he walks outside and stabs the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: a weird character twist. Take that, fish fingers. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, So I'm drawn most to the people that are self sacrificial. So the characters of Tom, Charlie, and Greg, the homeowner that was the first guy that offered to get tied to the chair to see maybe this will work. Maybe we can see it through video cameras. Um, so I love it when people are willing to put themselves on the line to obviously gain for themselves if it works, but, um, ultimately to make sure that, uh, it works out for other people. So you were talking about, uh, hope, faith, love, joy, um, Uh, there's a a passage in scripture that says greater love has no one than he who has sacrificed his life for a friend and we see that in those three characters that they willingly knowingly put themselves out there put themselves in danger to protect other people Um, and you know that's just a moment in their character arc but those are the things that stick with me
0: So you said the three characters you mentioned were... Uh,
3: Tom, Charlie, and Greg. Greg tied himself to a chair
0: to look at the screen. That dude's from uh, Jurassic Park, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 he's not as
3: self-sacrificial in that story arc.
0: (laughs) That's what I
1: liked about him in this. It was like redemption from the...
3: Stupid, from stupid, from stupid a direction jerk.
1: they've taken his character in the Jurassic World movies. Yeah.
3: I'm hoping in the next one he is a dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> I'm
1: fine with them corrupting him. Like I don't mind them doing that to a character from the original film, but it's just not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we uh,
3: we've done that conversation already. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
1: now I'm pretty much I'm with all you guys. The one you haven't mentioned that I actually really liked was Cheryl. The older lady in the house oh, yeah. who oh, yeah, actually yeah. tried to take out Gary so Absolutely. that he wouldn't get to Olympia. Yep, mm. I thought she of a was bitch really Gary, cool, man. Gary's an a hole. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like Gary <laughs> no at question. all. <laughs> Very well played, <laughs> horrible person. <laughs> we'll talk more about Gary. Um, the, I would say, I, okay, so John, so Doug, John Malkovich's character. Yeah, I did like how they showed some of his like bigoted undertones and stuff like that earlier in the film mm-hmm. you know talking about him having a problem with his gay neighbors and mm-hmm. oh, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that um and i'm even okay with him being you know like the a-hole and everything and there's a-holes in the dead and you know that's all fine i think the biggest thing that bugged me is his reaction to his wife's death Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he didn't mourn her at all. He just got pissed at everybody. Yeah. You know, thanks a lot, guys. Like, my (laughs) wife is
2: dead. Yeah. Get out of my house. Yeah.
3: It's like, wow. All right. Did you
1: cry? That kind of
2: happens with some people, though. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's true. That's true.
3: Anger is like a secondary emotion that covers up something else, whether it's a whole host of things. Yeah. The sadness or injustice or something.
1: Yeah. Yikes. All right. You guys ready to go? deep yeah (laughs) this is i you can correct me if i'm wrong but i genuinely think this might be the heaviest question we've asked on our show probably (laughs) in the history of the show
0: The history when you talk about (laughs) digging deeper yeah this is like as deep as it can go almost yeah Mm -hmm.
1: okay well the film sets up the idea that the victims are seeing their deepest fears or greatest losses realized when they look at the creatures which then drives the majority of them, we'll talk about the others later, but it drives the majority of them to suicide. So there's a lot of suicide in this movie. And so what I want to talk about is how do you think it's handled? Because there's a responsibility there, right? If you're going to depict suicide in a film, one would hope that it's not in a glorifying way. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a horror movie, one would hope that it's not in a glorifying way. So I'm just curious how you guys think that this film shoulders that responsibility, and um, if it wasn't done well, how could it do it better? So let's talk about that a little bit. Sandra, do you wanna start us on that one?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I think it was really interesting to see that those who did see these creatures and were driven to suicide, they weren't ever able to articulate what was going on. Um, They suffered in silence. Um, They might have said, like, what is that? But they never were able to articulate what they were seeing and what was so horrifying about it. And I think that's such a powerful depiction of what it must be like for those suffering with deep mental issues, uh, mental health issues, because no one else can see what that person is struggling with. It isn't visible and I think of the times that I've like grappled with anxiety and, and what I've had to do is really learn how to articulate what I'm feeling to both, one, acknowledge that it's real, and then two, get input and get comfort from those around me. So I think and when we look at Bird Box and we look at the people who did see, um, it, it is just really powerful to to see as viewers that they were stuck in this place of isolation. Even though people were around them, they couldn't. Articulate what was happening, they couldn't get help, and you know that's just such a tragic reality for some people that if they aren't able to get help, you know they they can be in in severe danger and you know hopefully not do anything to that extent, but the power of articulating what's going on is really what is lacking
1: mm. What do you
3: think justin um the looking at the creatures resulting in suicide. I think, is to be avoided at all costs in the movie. Um, Where, if in the book, Mallory were to take a syringe to the kid's eyes, to a certain extent, it's, like, good. You know, because that is avoiding a far greater loss. Um, And I heard suicide a a little bit simplistically summed up in um, the saying, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And that's not to underplay... (laughs) <laughs> Anything that anyone is going through, be it um, emotional or relational or even chemical. Um, but I think the movie is on board with the idea that suicide is a horrible thing to be avoided. Let's preserve life um, at all costs. And uh, my wife and I saw Dear Evan Hansen last night. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, a musical that... Um, centers around a suicide and an attempted suicide and how different people process it how different people walk it through and ultimately landing on the message that everybody matters even if no one else knows you you matter Um, and we also need to acknowledge that to each other so yeah i i kind of walked away from this movie and dear evan hansen just wondering like who in my life needs to know they matter? Even mm. if even if they haven't had a hugely profound impact on my life, that they still matter as a being, as a human. Um, so uh, just going back to the idea of suicide in this movie, it is to be avoided, which I feel like corresponds to reality. It's It's to be avoided at all costs.
1: Yeah. What do you think?
0: I think those are really good insights. I, I, so when we get to a really, really deep question like this, what my mind automatically starts to do is break down like what are the writers telling us is happening? And if they're telling, and, and if I can look at what they're telling us is happening, then how can I then interpret that? Right. And part of this was really difficult for me because you asked, do you think the film shoulders the responsibility of this difficult topic? Well, and I'm not totally sure and the reason I'm not totally sure is I'm not exactly sure what is occurring so let me just unpack this this is gonna go for way too long to just <laughs> buckle up um, so th- so we see John Malkovich Malkovich's Valkovich's wife Douglas the character Douglas his wife she almost seems as if she's seeing some horrific scenario unfolding because it almost seems like she's going to try and help did you guys get that impression
2: no not really
0: you didn't get that impression it wasn't
3: that she was trying to escape it was like it was too deliberate and too calm it was i i don't know i would say she
0: was trying to help but it wasn't it it was different it's different different. she was different right um it, it, it almost seemed to me and you guys can correct me if i'm wrong but it didn't seem like she was it didn't seem like she was realizing that she was about to kill herself does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I yeah sort she of, very calmly got yes, into the car. Yes, yes. yes. It was very calm. Like, like she was, what were you going to, how are you going well, to? I, I have,
1: I mean, I'll, I'll wait until I chime in after you because I've got a different view on that, but it's sort of my bigger view overall. So
0: yeah, go ahead and finish. I'll come in later. Yeah. Cause I got the, all these different, and, and I'm breaking this down <sighs> bit by bit because of these different. So she doesn't seem like she's thinking about killing herself. She's very calm. She, uh, it's almost as if, They haven't taken control of her body she's still in control of what she's doing um but they've altered her reality in such a way that they almost trick her into committing suicide almost as if she doesn't realize what she's doing okay Mm -hmm. so that's one perspective on that particular death other characters most of them i would say seem terrified and horrified by the creatures themselves and it's almost like death is the fastest way of me escaping these creatures right I think that that's more in alignment with what Jessica Mallory's sister, Sarah Paulson's character is always almost because she goes, what is that? And yeah. then she becomes super emotional. She can't even drive the car. And then when she gets out of the car, she just jumps in front of a truck. So to her, it seemed like I'm scared of the characters and I, and I don't know what to do. So I'm just the only thing I'm left with is death. Um, so then there are characters who know that the creatures will alter your world. And that sets up an entirely different premise for me because it's different to see it and not know what in the world is going on. It's different to see and know that your worst feelers are realized and that you are going to, some of the characters know that they're going to commit suicide based on what everyone else is doing. Yes, That sets up a very strange premise for me. Tom knows, uh, Trevante Rhodes character Tom, he knows. He knows that seeing the creatures is bad. And then after seeing the creatures, he has a moment of self-control, this Mm -hmm. fleeting moment of self-control. And then he shoots himself. uh, He shoots one of the, he shoots one of the psychopaths first. I'm not a, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm going to call them psychopaths and refer to them as psychopaths. I don't know if that's the clinical term for them. So I apologize if that's not correct, but for lack of a better Uh, Word and for ignorance, I'm calling the people who are okay with seeing the creatures psychopaths Mm -hmm. Um, So this leaves me wondering now Is it a The sight of the creatures themselves is so horrifying that I have no choice to commit suicide But to commit suicide to escape them if so, why what makes them so horrific? B is it more about what the creatures show you about the world around you that is truly horrifying or C is that they take possession of you and force you to kill yourself. Okay, all of these things really matter into in terms of how the the storytellers are handling this um, this issue. Mm-hmm. So the reason I ask those questions, um, it's not just it's how it's not just how they see the creatures. It's also how the characters view death. It's not just about their perception of the cr- the creatures because if the creatures are so terrible, then death is the only option. Well, what does death hold for you, right? They had to have a perspective on death as well for most of these characters. Um, If they're still in control and they're choosing death over living um, with the knowledge of their new terrifying reality, then they must think that death is not as bad as that terrifying reality, Yeah, right? That's an interesting, I think there's an interesting thing we had to stop and consider for at least a second. Um, Because of the way that Tom handles the way that he sees the creatures, Uh, or this new reality or whatever he experiences. Um, And because we see people who appear to have severe mental illness living with the knowledge of the creatures, even calling them beautiful because of those things, I don't think the answer is C. And if the answer isn't C meaning that the creatures are not mind controlling the characters into suicide, then that means that the characters are so overwhelmed by fear, either of the creatures themselves or, uh, or of the reality that the creatures manifest for them, that they choose suicide. So the problem I have with that is it doesn't feel like Tom would succumb to that. So we see it, we see him resist it for a moment living with whatever the fear is that he experiences. Um, but I don't know, I feel like Tom would try to push through for longer. Does that make sense? Hmm. You're, Yeah. What you're like dancing right around what I'm. Oh really? Yeah. You're <laughs> gonna, we're, gonna, we're on the same page. Yeah, so, so, Tom knows what he's going to see. So you and I might be on the exact same page. Do you want to jump in? Uh, Similar page.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm very similar in line to what you're thinking, but maybe with a slightly different slant. Yeah. First of all, yes, I think what is actually happening to the characters has a lot to do with whether or not the movie is appropriately treating the use of suicide. Yes. Because... Me specifically, the reason I think that is because the way that most of these characters kill themselves is kind of outlandish. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, some of them maybe not so much. Like, there's an open window, one of them jumps out of an open window. Like, sure, that's not outlandish. But you have Jessica, sorry, Mallory's sister, stepping in front of a bus. You have Doug's wife sitting down into a burning car. Right. And some of these are just, they're different. They're not what you would expect. Hmm. You know what I mean? They're, it's almost like it's quote unquote creative suicide to use a horrible, horrible, horrible term. (laughs) Right, right, right. So.
0: It's almost that, as if it would have been premeditated, but it's not. It's reactionary.
1: Yeah, and so that the way those things are happening at first makes me think, I don't know if I am happy with ha- the way this movie right. is treating it. Because, yes, they're putting it out there as a terrible thing to, to avoid at all costs, like you said, Justin. But they're putting creativity into these deaths like a horror film would. Mm-hmm. And so that, to me, is a little bit unsettling. But when you bring up the question of, are they actually committing suicide or not? A large part of me thinks that they are not, mm. that they're actually being mind controlled and they're being killed via mind control. Mm. And there's a reason behind who the creatures kill, who they take control of and make their worshipers. And even behind why there's a fascination with children. Because Gary was fascinated with the children.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, so, and this will bleed in a little bit into the next question so we can come back to it later. But my theory is basically, maybe these people are not committing suicide. There is some sort of psychology to these creatures why they do what they're doing. Yeah. And they're actually afraid of children because children that young don't have any fears for them to play on. Interesting. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they can't control them, which is and why they would want to eliminate them.
3: So Jay, going back to you, yeah. when you did the ABC, are you suggesting that A was how you read the
0: the situation? So A being the sight of the creatures themselves is horrifying, right? Yeah. B being the, something the creatures show you about the world around you is horrifying. And then C is what you just said, taking possession of. So I'll just continue because I, I still have... <laughs> <laughs> like a half page notes let me say one more thing yeah, yeah yeah go ahead um
1: and i can come back to this later on the next question but as far as tom goes yeah if what i'm saying yeah was actually the way it was i don't know yeah but if it was then my next conclusion would be that tom is actually one of the people that the creatures would want to take over and make their devotee And the reason he shot himself is because somehow he knew that. And he was Uh, actually taking himself out of the equation so that the creature could not use him to go after Valerie.
0: Interesting. Um, Sandra, did you want to jump in?
2: Well, I I think when you're giving the options of A, B, and C, I'm maybe because I'm inclusive, but I'm imagining that it would depend on the person. Mm. So when you're talking about Tom, I mean, that's a perfect example. That for him he's taking himself out of the equation Uh, maybe for Lydia Doug's wife for her it isn't um, that the creatures are horrifying her but she sees her mom and she's facing her grief and she is willingly going to wherever her mom is Mm. and so that's why it's kind of a peaceful almost a peaceful decision because she wants that more than where she is right now. Mm. And for, um, for Jess, uh, Mallory's sister, for her, it's probably B that what's going on in the world is whatever she's seeing about the world is so horrifying that she has to to do that. Or maybe even a, because it could Mm. be that the creatures are so horrifying that she has to commit suicide. So I, Mm. I don't know if it's, if it's a b or c across the board i think it's a, a mixture of that of depending on the character yeah
3: um for me i think just going to the a b and c i'm really drawn to c uh for the story kind of The, Daryl, the Daryl. that um that they are not so much committing suicide like the person choosing i no longer want to live yeah but that they're being compelled by the being and there isn't even like a direct correlation for me between what they see and what they do. It feels like the fear and the horror and whatever they see is like the way in. But even that there's a biological change in their eyes feel like Mm. feels like there's some other entity that has taken presence. And that's where even the creativity to use that term again comes into play because it's not the person. It's like the entity that's taking joy in this destruction. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there it, it doesn't feel character driven. It would be one thing if we knew the backstory of this character and they killed themselves in a way that was relevant. Mm-hmm. But it just feels like the nearest possible option. That yeah, it doesn't even feel connected to what that individual wants. It only feels connected to what the entity wants. Yeah. Um, but I still want to hear the last half page. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Now, so
0: I think that the So you asked me what, which one do I think it is the answer? And the reason why I'm uncomfortable with the way that the film handles it is that I don't actually know there's not enough information for me to say it is a B or C. Um, I see evidence of each, if the answer is C I am most comfortable with that based on what you guys described, because that I would say it's not them making a choice. Uh, it is actually the creatures choosing for them. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with what Tom does. Um, because I would say that he does have that moment of self-control and that's weird it's weird to have a moment of self-control given what we've seen from everyone else so so to finish my thought like if if it's a or B then I'm a little uncomfortable with the way that the film handles suicide because I think that you could almost argue that the film is suggesting that some things are so horrible that suicide is better that death is better and By the way, I have to say, I do think that personally speaking, that death is better than life. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I believe that death is better. more accurately
1: afterlife is better than life.
0: Correct. I have a hope in something after death, right? I have a hope in something. It may be that I'm an idiot for believing in that hope, but I do believe it. So I also think that I have a purpose and this life serves a purpose. So despite me believing that death will be superior, I don't believe that suicide is okay because I believe that every single person on earth, not just me, has a purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone has value, everyone has a purpose. And if everyone has value and everyone has a purpose, then suicide is not an acceptable form of ending life. Um, Now, can trauma override our sense of purpose? Can it get that dark? I think it can. I think it can for people. Um, and I also think that the darkness isn't as strong if we cling to our purpose, things that we cling to that things happen for a reason, right? Like if you're left with other, other devastation, because something terrible happened in your life. When my mom passed away, I was devastated by that. But it, and if I came away with saying like, yeah, there's no meaning in that. It's just awful. It's just purely awful and there's nothing else to be said about it that would be incredibly dark and it'd be an incredibly dark place to to be. Um, So I do believe that trauma can override our sense of purpose, but I feel like it's up to us to kind of try and, hey, no, I still have a purpose. Like I still have a purpose despite this trauma that I'm living out. Um, And I know that there are some, like, I think that in this film, because we know that the severely mentally ill are living in the traumatic reality the creatures creates, it makes me wonder why Tom can't. In other words, some people can live in that traumatic reality. And I feel like Tom is a guy who has purpose, but yet he still succumbs to the creatures. So I liked your guys' explanation better. Cause if it's A or B, I'm like, but Tom has purpose, man. Like yeah. he, he would be able to see like, I know how dark it just got for me, but this is an altered reality. This is not real. This is, th- this is something else. Therefore I don't need to take my own life in this case. Um, so do you,
2: do you think that was to save Mallory and the kids? Because if anyone could get to them, he could.
0: It could be. That could be another good argument for saying like, okay. But I would also argue that like at the point in time where he shoots himself, uh, he's sort of more in the clear. And if he has enough, so this is the question, right? If he's mind controlled, then he legitimately can't do anything besides what they tell him to do. So then then at that point, the suicide for me and, and for, with Tom's character specifically seems like it's actually uh, I'm going to use the term. OK, uh, what I mean by that is it is acceptable for his character to make that decision because he, he's technically not making it. The creatures are making it for him. But if it's A or B, it just seems off. Now, I see what you're saying, Sandra, you're saying, well, but what if the creatures can now know where Mallory is going to be? And I would say, I don't know. I mean, Mallory's already off into the woods. It doesn't seem like he has to do that. He could mislead the creatures if he's, if he's that with it. Um, so I'll just end by saying that I, I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with the question. Yeah. I think it's really important about when we see what is motivating them to do what they're doing. I'm most comfortable with what you guys are suggesting, that it's mind control. That would be make me the most most um, comfortable because otherwise it seems to me that for someone like Tom who has a purpose who has peace joy hope and love and he sees something horrific and traumatic if that's all it is it that's uncomfortable for me it leaves me in a very 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 uncomfortable state and I don't know if it they're handling it well if I'm left in that state if he's being mind-controlled I'm o- I'm okay with it and I think it's a fair yeah progression so I apologize for taking that long <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of question <laughs> yeah ex- exactly and I have to address it as a writer because I'm looking at this going what what's going on here yeah like, what's actually occurring and I think we need to know that before we can make a determination
1: yeah before we move on we just want to acknowledge that suicide is real it is all too common and if you guys are struggling if you're having thoughts even close to that, please reach out to somebody. Please connect. Don't let yourself be alone. Uh, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. Or you can go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. You can go to org. All of these places have people on hand ready to help. So don't be alone. Reach out. Okay, let's move to the other side of what happens when people see these creatures. There's this, I call them the worshippers or the devotees. I don't know what we want to call them, but people like Gary, people like Mm -hmm. the guy in the river that attacked Mallory and the kids. Why do you think some of these people are reacting differently? You mentioned mental illness earlier, but um, what do you think the difference is? Justin, let's start with you on this one.
3: I think this goes back to the will of the entity for Mm -hmm. me that there is a different weird darker purpose that it finds for them in just destroying the lives of others so for some reason it's not enough to just destroy the one life of the individual it's better to use them to destroy more lives Um, so we already talked about the Cthulhu mythology a little bit yeah. from HP Lovecraft. Um, I had two board games a while back called Arkham Horror and Mansions of Madness. that were both based out of the HP Lovecraft uh, lore. And there were different followers and worshipers and acolytes and things like that. And they were always very weak because they're human. They're just following the thing. So this movie honestly made those characters <coughs> far more frightening to me because they are weak, fallible humans but all they have to do is expose you to the entity for them to succeed in such a weak twisted little way um so i feel like it's very consistent in that sense with c that it's just the will of the entity playing itself out in a different way Mm -hmm. uh for some people it's just end this one life and that's enough uh for other people it's i'm going to use you to end other lives um so it's a super creepy idea that when, you know, on the one hand, it's like, well, it's simple enough. Just don't look at it. But then you're having other people force you to look at it. It was a really creepy idea to me. And I don't think I've seen very many scenes in movies until we start comparing it to The Quiet Place, which we won't yet. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking to about. To <laughs> the uh, scene with the birth where there's two women that are very helpless, there are two children that are very helpless, um, and there is an evil man seeking to do them harm. That that was a very uncomfortable scene for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sandra, what do you think?
2: Um first, I got to say just cuz this is this was on I think my top 20 night of um excuse me, horror films, it made me think of Night of the Comet. Now, I don't know if you guys remember that, but um in Night of the Comet, most of the people are disintegrated basically, but there are some who survive and then there are these kind of monster zombie things that are halfway between survivors and being disintegrated and they're attacking the the survivors. And so it made me think of that. And with that first guy on the boat or it in the river, for him, I wondered, if maybe it was because he didn't see the the creatures fully but he saw them with his sunglasses on like maybe that might be mm-hmm. why it didn't take over and didn't make him kill himself or with someone like Gary now for him he has this whole story as to where he was and why he um, needs shelter but he very intentionally is not looking at anyone for most of the time that he is in the house. When he first gets there, he's looking down and then when he, when everyone's questioning him, he's crouched down in a corner and he's looking down and it's very uh, intentional that he doesn't want to be spotted. He doesn't want to be seen. It's not until the scene with the children or leading up to the children's birth that he finally is able to kind of be comfortable acting out this being this malevolent person but it's just really interesting to see how he was scheming like he was he was intentionally hiding and that is more than just some person who was wholly controlled by by a beast or by a creature but it's it's intentional he was in control enough to be secretive about his intentions the same thing with the guy at the river and he's like hey you, come on you can see you can you can look at me uh, and we're safe and let me help you and to me that part of it is almost scarier than the creatures because they're tricking you it's not obvious that they're out there to harm you and to harm the kids They're it's this oh the trickery behind it is just scarier i think
1: yeah what do
2: you think jay
0: yeah. I think, I mean, I, I'm still hoping that this is mind control, right? So, but I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate just in case like it's not mind control. And the only thing I could think of, and this is very dark when it comes to the <laughs> worshipers is that some people already believe. So, th- so I'm not the one that brought up by the way that they are mentally ill. I believe that the movie brings that up because it says that they were in a institution. Some of them were in, in an institution of some kind. Um, so, This is very dark but i think that some people already believe the world is as horrific as the creatures reveal it to be Hmm. so they already see the demons all around them they already feel the world's a place of torment they don't see good or light at all and so presented with the creatures they just go well of course this is how it's always been this is just now the embodiment of what i've always thought was just lurking right behind the scenes and I think that their conclusion is, well, then I'll become a worshiper because now my, my, all of the things that I've been saying were true are now true. And now instead of being fearful of this, I will choose to worship it. Um, I think they can live into that darkness as opposed by being traumatized by it. And I think that that's a really scary, but fascinating interpretation of what's going on with them. So.
3: And just to combine that with something else you've said, I wonder if that gives them a purpose in a oh, twisted yeah. way that um, maybe they were hopeless and um, thinking the world was that dark and weren't living in their purpose like Tom was.
0: Um, and then this gives them a purpose in a really weird way. Well, and you kind of get that feeling because they say they're beautiful. You, you, mm-hmm. sh- you really need to see them. They're beautiful, right? and i and I have a and I have a it doesn't feel like they're the creatures are controlling them to do now Gary feels like the creatures are controlling him a little bit more, mm-hmm. and they're like manipulating him through this yeah. thing, but some of the other characters, it feels like when they say that the creatures are beautiful and you need to look at them, it almost feels a little bit more like no, I have realized what this is, and get on the get on board with me. I have a purpose now it's serving these horrendous beings but it is what it is and let's get on board with it because this is what i have thought about the world all my life you know but that's (laughs) that's super dark man (laughs) it is is, but
1: it fits the movie (laughs) it does it does (laughs) um yeah i don't really have a whole lot to add to that i mean i think you guys you nailed it I, i did allude earlier to a thought about gary and his sketches yeah um which is just basically i think what if gary has some sort of a personality disorder you know what i mean and so his sketches are he sees something different
0: every time he looks oh totally you know what i mean or he could be seeing he could be drawing pictures of other people yeah he thinks that the other people look like that too
1: and i guess we don't i mean it's pretty heavily implied but i guess we don't fully know that he drew all those pictures that's true yeah he may have collected
0: them yeah he starts to draw a new one but yeah yeah but we don't see how good he is yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> he draws like Casper. <laughs> like, come on, dude. <laughs> it's, a stick figure. it's not Casper. Casper's a friendly ghost, you idiot. <laughs>
1: All right. I'm just gonna ask one more question in the interest of time. We're going long, but I will say, um, listen to the aftercast of this because we've got some fun topics that we're gonna dive into on the aftercast. But my last question is gonna be a huge left turn curveball. We're gonna get really <laughs> weird. This one was inspired by Sandra, so thank you, Sandra
2: gotta represent my weirdness that's right that's right
1: (laughs) um we're gonna play a little devil's advocate here what if what the victims are seeing truly is beautiful what if it's good and those that don't see it are actually missing out how does that change the story for you do you think that's even remotely possible what do you think sandra i'm gonna let you go first on this one
2: Okay, so as I was watching it, and of course, the obvious answer is, you know, as I, as it was unfolding is that these are, you know, horrible creatures and the worshippers are terrifying stay away. But I started thinking about the blindfolds. And I started thinking about really what Charlie said. So what Charlie is talking about is this is the end game. He says humanity has been judged and found wanting. So some of us know and recognize that that's biblical that's Daniel talking to Belshazzar so that to me was like oh man like what what if we flip it on its head and what's really happening here is that these people have truly seen something beautiful and those who have died to themselves um, more in a spiritual way are are ushered into, you know, the afterlife and those who are left behind are choosing to stay blind. That was horrifying. As I was watching it and thinking about this, I'm like, that's really scary because nobody wants to be intentionally blind. And yet that can happen. You know, that happens in relational situations where we might feel like this is the right way. This is the thing that we should be doing. And you're just blinded by whatever is going on in your life and and it takes someone speaking into that to make you realize that you've been wrong and i'm thinking too of like the cultural climate that we have right now it's just there are two total extremes and from one side the opposite side is terrifying and if they're trying to aggressively convince us of of their side even more so and we don't want to be around that we don't want to to have our eyes open to what that other side thinks is okay, because from our perspective, it's it's terrifying. And so, as I was watching it, I was thinking of all these things, going, "Man, like, where are my blind spots, and where are just as a culture, where are our blind spots where maybe there is something that we're missing out? And we, not, well, of course, we don't want to be seeing demons, but really, if it truly is flipped on its head, that to me was even more horrifying than the actual story. So. Yeah, it just made me think of that, it made me think of if we really are um, in a space where someone has see, seen something beautiful and, we're, and they're trying to convince us, then it shouldn't be an aggressive way that they're doing it like they are in the film, you know, there's nothing but fear that they're um, inciting in the people who they're trying to convince that this is beautiful and it makes me think of approaches that people might have when they're trying to put their perspective on others are they winsome or are they terrifying are they creating fear or are they creating at least an interest in in hearing being heard out so that part was very scary when i started to think about it from that perspective it was it's pretty scary
1: and that, <laughs> that's the way to successfully make the movie even scarier <laughs> <I know. laughs> what do you guys think
0: So, okay, so (laughs) the first thing I wrote down was, I don't see how this is possible. (laughs) Uh, Now, I'll tell you why I don't think it's possible, because the ones who do see the creatures and see them as beautiful then seem to interpret life in a very perverted way. So if you look at Tom Hollander's sketches, they're perversions of beauty for sure. They're not really beauty, right? Like, so... I don't believe that the movie saying this now I'm down to talk about what this could mean for the world. So I went ahead and answered (laughs) anyways. Um, Can beauty be terrifying? I think it can. Beauty can sometimes reveal our own ugliness. Mm -hmm. And when we see the best of the world, then we can judge ourselves on how we don't measure up to the best. So beauty can be terrifying. Um, I also, uh, I also sense that there's beauty that we're not seeing right now. Um, I described my hope in something better than death. And I do think that beauty can drive us to despair as opposed to hope because if beauty exists and it rejects us, if beauty exists and beauty rejects us, that is despair. If beauty exists and rejects us, how are you supposed to hope at all? Because you know that the only other alternative is ugliness. And I think that that's a really fascinating concept. If it's, if, if they're even suggesting this again, I don't think they're suggesting this, but if they are, um, uh, so I think it's really heavy. If the creatures are beautiful and the characters in the story see them and are driven to despair, then I would have to come to the conclusion that the creatures also rejected them they did not say, I'm a beautiful creature, come be with me, right? It has mm-hmm. to be, I'm a beautiful creature and you are not worthy, you're rejected. And it's like, well, then there's nothing left for me. Uh, I'm going to live in torment the rest of my life, so I might as well die, right? Um, that's the only thing that I can think of as it comes to this kind of thinking. And I just don't think the movie is proposing that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting. I don't think it's. Yeah, yeah I,
2: don't, I don't think it's proposing that. I just think... I was thinking of what Charlie was saying and I was going deep into what Charlie was saying yeah. about end times. And so that's where in my mind, the things that I know and the things that I've read and uh, that's really where it came from. I don't think that's the intent, but, but it, I started to to envision it and from that perspective and that freaked me out. <laughs> um,
3: so as I was thinking about the possibility of beauty, Um, In those beings and those creatures, I was feeling like it wasn't possible just because of the impact that they had uh, because of the destruction they brought. And even Sandra, you were talking about intentional blindness Um, uh, that that whole conversation was just super interesting to me. And I wanted to have that kind of separate from this movie. But I I saw the intentional blindness as a result of the creature, um, not something that just the person was choosing to avoid something. Um, And so I feel like beauty brings us into a larger experience, brings us uh, either into greater community or greater understanding of ourselves or the world um, or reality or whatever that is. It brings us into something bigger, whereas these creatures were making the world smaller, whether it was ending someone's world or it was blinding someone uh, so that they could survive. So the creatures felt like the opposite of beauty to me. They were making existence smaller and harder and um, lonelier. Um, whereas
0: I believe anything that is beautiful would do the opposite.
1: Hmm.
0: I think I, I, I tend to agree with you, but I was, if I was going to play devil's advocate to that point, I would say that, the, that this would also cause loneliness. I think, but the creatures could be opening up the world into an even broader understanding. In other words, let's just face it. If, uh, there's, there's a, I've heard philosophers say this before. If you knew the trauma you were going to have to live through in life, would you be willing to face that every day? If you knew we're all going to die, we're not going to die in comfortable ways. Yeah. Most of us will not die in comfortable uh-huh. ways. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Spoiler. I'm always the one who Spoiler. brings the podcast way down. It's like I'm the one talking about hope and joy and peace and love. And then I'm also like, oh, by the way. Um, but, but like I think if, if you saw the way that your life was going to play out. And then if I was to tell you that I don't – about what was actually going to happen you need something beyond this life to find hope and joy and peace and love. Because if I told you what was going to happen, you'd be like, I don't want to go through any of that. Right? Mm-hmm. You might have situations where your spouse dies in front of you. You're, you. We know your parents are likely to die in front of you. What if what happens if your kids die in front of you? And, right? These are horrific things that if we knew that they were going to play out, do you think you'd want to keep living? So I do believe that that I, I'm not sure that, the car- that these creatures... Are shrinking their understanding of the world I think that they could be revealing all of the things that could happen to you actually in the world because the world is not a good place the world is Mm -hmm. we we talk ourselves into the world being a good place just so we can get through another day I think a lot of times but I'm not sure that we could actually say the world is a fantastic place I believe in something bigger than the world so I can I try to get on board with that every day I, I even that is a struggle if we're being honest even yeah. even saying i have purpose i have hope i have peace i have joy today and then you get on the freeway and someone cuts you off and you're like <laughs> dude <laughs> this guy is an asshole no more purpose <laughs> no i'm just teasing <laughs> but i just think that there could be there could there could be even be revealing more not necessarily yeah. less
2: you know what i think of is I think of of the people who are on a totally different side that I consider myself on. Um, so especially in politics, things are so volatile now. People are so on opposite ends that if you're on the other side, you are terrifying. You are scary. Mm. and And <laughs> that's what I was thinking, like, oh man, if i'm if I'm telling someone what my perspective is, how I vote, who I vote for, what I think, they are gonna be scared of me. they're or, or they're gonna tell me that I have blinders on, that I am thinking, you know, uh, thinking thinking wrongly and that i'm I'm wrong, you know, I'm and I've had conversations like that where I'm so on the other end with people, you know, and they're talking about who they're for and what to me it's scary the things that they think are okay and and yet, from their perspective, what I think is okay is scary. Hmm. And to me, it's, that's that's just so fascinating that that's what we see happening online. We see people arguing and, and saying horrible things to each other, and it's because they're on these completely opposite sides where one is truly, truly terrifying to the other.
0: Hmm. I think, just, to, just to, so I don't leave everybody in a completely depressed state because of what I was saying. <laughs> I One of the things that I've come to appreciate about horror that, by the way, I would never have said without the Story Geeks podcast. Know, that's a weird sentence. Just, I'm, I'm yes, nice. exactly. Yeah. Without the, can I take credit for that? You can take, yeah, you can take partial credit and then the rest yes. of the Story Geeks fans for forcing me to watch <laughs> horror movies over the last year. Uh, despite the fact that I am, have a lack of sleep now, uh, I, I, I feel good about it. Um, I will say that one of the values that I think that horror movies provide is that I think that they snap us out of the day to day grind of life and into thinking about things that are bigger and broader. Where are the areas in our lives where we are labeling people as boy and girl? Because we do, we're doing that. I do that, right? Um, some of it's to protect myself. Some of it's to protect them, just like Mallory is trying to do. But we do those things and horror gives us a chance to say, actually, that's not love. That's not joy. That's not peace. That's not hope. How would I find those things? Where would I look for those things? And I think that that's what that's the benefit that delving into dark subject matter can provide to us. Um, A lot of times, if we're just escaping to movies, we don't get that. But I think horror kind of says like, I'm not going to let you escape, right? Like at least, at least thoughtful horror, thoughtful horror Mm -hmm. says, I'm not going to let you escape. I'm going to force you to consider, Death. I'm going to force you to consider suicide. I'm going to force you to consider intimacy. And um, I don't love horror, but I value that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just throw that out there. Well,
1: stay tuned for the aftercast where we're going to talk about sunrises, puppies, and cupcakes. Yay! <laughs> please. No. Please. And how they'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> That is it for today's show. Special thanks to my fellow co hosts Jay, Justin, and Sandra, for such a fun conversation. Some tough topics on this one, but uh, it's good stuff to talk about, and I actually really enjoyed this. If you want more content from The Story Geeks related to Bird Box or anything else, head over to thestorygeeks.com. This week you'll find blogs from Ashley and Anthony, and if you head over right now and become a supporter of The Story Geeks for at least $2 a month, you'll unlock access to this week's Aftercast, where we compare Bird Box to A Quiet Place, like everybody else in the world has been doing. And we'll actually talk a little bit about what a sequel could look like and if we even want one to begin with. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, Jay and Justin are going to battle it out over which movie is more exciting, Avengers Endgame or Star Wars Episode IX. So you don't want to miss that. Don't forget to subscribe. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the other Story Geeks podcasts, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth.